title of the sermon today is Why Have They Not Believed? And as he shared, the main objective of the Gideons is to get the life-changing word of God into everyone's hands so that they will believe and be saved. And that's what this chapter is about here. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Have you ever had a time when someone didn't believe you? You were telling them the truth and yet they just wouldn't believe. Isn't it frustrating? I think kids deal with this a lot. Because uh, a lot of times, kids aren't all that trustworthy, and so adults don't believe them. And I remember this as a kid, and, and I see it in my own kids now. And you feel bad as a father when your kid was telling the truth and you didn't believe them. And it's frustrating when someone won't believe you about a little thing. But what about when someone won't believe you about a big thing? I want you to imagine with me that you've been charged with a crime. Not just any crime, though. You have been charged with murder. And you're innocent, but no one will believe you. And you're sitting there in the courtroom, and the evidence is stacked against you. The prosecution is ruthless. They've really made it look like you have done this. And you turn to the jury, and you look at them, and you say, please, I didn't do it. Believe me. And they get up with somber faces, and they walk into the deliberation room. And you wonder, what is going to happen it reminds me of a movie. I hope I don't spoil this movie for you, but it's been out for a little while, so maybe you've seen it. It's called 12 Angry Men. In this movie, the basic premise of the movie is that this young man has been charged with murder, and um, he says he didn't do it, but the evidence looks very compelling that he did do it. And so when the jury go to deliberate, it seems like it's going to be an easy, an easy job. They're going to be home by dinner. One guy, out of the 12 in the room, there's one guy that just, he's just not quite sure. And he wants, to, he wants to talk about it. He wants to discuss and go over the evidence again. And slowly as the movie progresses, they become less and less convinced of his guilt and more and more convinced that he might be innocent. But can you imagine being in his place? You're innocent and no one will believe you. Have you ever felt that way about your faith? That why do so many people around us not believe in Jesus? And part of it has to do with where we live. I did some research this week and looked it up and found some statistics. Now, who knows if I can believe the statistics, but it said that in Clark County, only 13.73% of adults are evangelical Christians. Less than 14% of the people around us share the same faith that we have. Why have they not believed? And that can lead us to a couple different places. One of them is doubt. And am I really sure this is true? I mean, so many people don't believe it. How, how do I know? But it also can lead us, our, our hearts to hurt for those people. There's so many people around us that do not know Jesus, that are destined to spend an eternity apart from him. And that's the heart that Paul has in these chapters right here. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And as you look at that, as you look at the, the context of, of what Paul's talking about here in chapter 10, we kind of need to take, take a step back and look at the bigger picture of Romans. This is part of a section in, in Romans 9 through 11 that is all about addressing this question of why has Israel, why have the Jews not believed in Jesus? 
And it comes out of chapters 1 through 8. If you remember, um, this in, in Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and they're having some, some disagreement. There's some difficulty with unity. One of the issues that's coming up is uh, the Jews have been kicked out of Rome, and now they're on their way back in. And as they come back into the church, there's this question about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Is it this really Jewish thing, or is it this thing that has nothing to do with being a Jew at all? What's going on here? And people have different ideas, and there's some contention going on there. And so the first eight chapters, he just lays out the good news, the gospel, that even though we, are, we were dead in our sins, God has made us right with him, and we have faith in Christ. If we have faith in Christ, we'll have new life by the Spirit. And it's this wonderful gospel message, but the question comes up, if this message is so great, if the gospel is so good, why have so many of his people not believed? Why have so many of the Jews not believed in Jesus? And that's what Paul's getting into. That's the question driving Romans chapter 10 is why have they not believed? And Paul introduces some of this because he says, he's saying it's not that they're not passionate. They're passionate about God, but they're ignorant. You see, they're still trying to work for their faith. They're still trying to make themselves right with God rather than trusting in what Jesus has done. And it leaves that question of why. Why have they not believed? And we're going to see two answers to this question come up in the chapter today. And the first one here today, why have they not believed, is maybe, maybe it's unclear. The message is unclear. It's hard to understand. And if you've ever read the Bible before, you know that that can be true, right? It's, it's hard to understand it sometimes. It's not always clear. It's, it's difficult. And so we, we get that feeling sometimes. Maybe they don't believe because they just don't understand. So let's see what Paul has to say about that. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. Pay special attention to verse 8. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Like I said, pay attention to verse 8, because that's that's what helps us understand what's going on here. He says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. What he's trying to say here is it's not that far off, it's not that hard to understand. The word is near you. But it's kind of ironic, because as you read through those first couple verses there, verse 5 and 6, it can be a little bit confusing, (laughs) It can be a little bit like, what is he talking about? Ascending, descending, you know, getting Christ down from heaven or up from the dead. What is going on here? What he's talking about is the word is near. And if you look at Deuteronomy 30, where Paul is quoting from, it can help us understand this a little bit better. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses has just given the law to this next, again, to this next generation of Israelites that are going to go into the promised land. And he gets to Deuteronomy 30, and what does he say to them? It's not too hard for you. It's not too far off. You don't have to go up to heaven to get it. You don't have to go across the sea to get it. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Now, if you heard Moses saying that, would you agree with him? I mean, have you ever read Deuteronomy or Leviticus? It seems a little far off. Like, what? That doesn't seem accessible. I don't understand it. And maybe it's because of some of the cultural distance we have. But even then, there's a lot of laws. It doesn't feel accessible. And yet, what is Moses trying to say? He's looking at the big picture here. 
In verse 6 of chapter 30, he says, God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. What's the big idea about the law again? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Can you understand that? Yeah, it's not hard to understand. Now, that may not mean it's easy to do, but you can understand it. It's near to you. And that's what Moses is saying there. That's what Paul is saying here. This gospel message is near to you. The knowledge is near. Knowledge is near to us today in a way that it wasn't even just 20 or 30 years ago. The world has changed with the invention of the internet, Google, with the smartphone. We live in a different world today where where we have the cumulative source of human knowledge at our fingertips, don't we? Isn't that amazing? But what do we use it for? Looking at pictures of cats. Come on, people. (laughs) Knowledge is near to us. We can know so much more now, so much easier. And uh, you remember 20 or 30 years ago when if you didn't know something, you might just have to spend the rest of your life not knowing it? And, and now things have changed. You ever have those random questions that go through your head? Like, why are public toilets shaped in a U, but the one at my house is a circle? And, you know, a while ago, you would just have to be like, I guess I'll never know. You don't have to live that way anymore. You can look it up. You can know the answer. You ever been watching a TV show and there's an actor or actress that looks familiar and it bugs you, right? You're like, oh, what are they from? And you're trying to remember. And there was a time where you just have to hope that maybe you would remember. Not now. You can just look it up. You don't have to spend the rest of your life wondering why penguins are birds if they can't fly. The knowledge is near. How much more is the good news of Jesus near to us today. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he continues this. Let's look at verse 9. He says this, because, remember it's near to you, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the message right there. What do you have to do to be saved? Well, actually, God's already done it. We, all we have to do is to respond in faith to him. The message is laid out right here, and it's clear. What do we have to do to be saved? And some other authors will put it differently in different in books, but Paul says it clear here in, in chapter, nine, or chapter 10, verse 9. He breaks it apart. There's two things. One, confess Jesus as Lord, and two, believe that God raised him from the dead. And both of these are so important. So let's talk about Jesus as Lord a little bit. That one can sound a little confusing. Maybe you've heard someone say that before. What what is it talking about here? But it's so important for us. And too often, we want to leave that part out. Because we like this idea of a God who saves us from eternal separation from him, from eternal damnation, so that we can do whatever we want right now. And yet, that doesn't fully solve the problem of Genesis 3, does it? Because what happened in Genesis 3? It wasn't just that we broke one of God's rules— And now we deserve this. But it it was so much more than that. We said to God, no, we decide what's good and bad. We decide what's right and wrong, not you. And so saying that Jesus is Lord is that first step of coming back to him, to admitting, God, you are God and I'm not. Jesus is the king. I'm not the king. You are right. I'm wrong. You are righteous. I'm the sinner. And initially, that'll lead us to despair, right? Because when you realize the weight of that and the reality of that, that you are separated from God forever, it's hard. 
But that's where the good news comes in. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what that accomplished for us so that we can have life in Jesus forever. You can understand that message. It's clear. It's not hard to understand. The word of God is near to you. We can understand it. And he makes it clear with verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So where does that leave us? Remember, we have this main question for today. Why have they not believed? And our first answer to that was maybe they didn't understand. Maybe it wasn't clear. But what do we find here? What does Paul say? Nope, that's not true. It's understandable. It's clear. So we need, we, need, we need help. We need to figure out what is the answer to this question. Why have they not believed? So let's take a step back. Maybe they understand it. Maybe it's clear. But what if they've never even heard the message? Maybe that's the problem is people haven't ever even heard. So let's see what Paul has to say about that in verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring, who preach the good news. I love this section here because it's just a logical progression, okay? So reaching back to verse 13, if if everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, that's great. But how will people do that? How will they call on the Lord if they've never believed? You can't confess that if you haven't believed. Um, And how are you going to believe if you've never even heard the message, right? You can't believe in something you've never heard. And how are you going to hear that message unless someone preaches it to you, unless someone tells you about it? And how are people going to tell unless they are sent? So it gives us the idea we must send people to preach the good news so that they will hear and believe and call in the name of the Lord and be saved. And that makes sense to us. But then what's this thing about beautiful feet? It's kind of weird, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is is calling back to Isaiah 52. There's this verse in there that's talking about this royal proclamation. This messenger brings the good news that our God reigns. The king is still the king. Imagine if you were in a country at war and the, the king went away to war with his troops. And the messenger comes back to proclaim the king's still there. He's victorious. Our God reigns. That's that good news. And yet... Why does the messenger have beautiful feet? I mean, you think about it. This messenger has been running through the dirt and the grime. He probably has blisters. His feet probably smell. Why are his feet beautiful? Because they bring a beautiful message. And this is why sending people is so important. Because how will people believe and call in the name of the Lord unless we send them to preach the good news that people will hear? And this is why the work of the Gideons is so important. That Gary shared this morning, and we heard it and, it, and it sounds so great. And that's why it's so important, is because people need to hear in order to be saved. People cannot come to that conclusion on their own. They must hear or they must read God's word if they're going to be saved. It is necessary for salvation. Verse 17 says this, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. God's word The gospel message is essential to believing and to calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. It has to happen. So, where are we at now? Remember, why have they not believed? Have we we got our answer? 
It's not that they don't understand. You can understand the message. But maybe it's because they've just never heard. And that makes sense. There's one problem. I skipped a verse. And I think we should go back to verse 16 and see what it says. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You see, we come to this understanding that in order to believe, you, you must hear. Everyone who has believed in the good news of Jesus has heard or read. That has to happen. And yet, not everyone who hears will believe. And Paul unpacks this in the next couple of verses. Let's continue on. Verse 18, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? He's talking about Israel, remember. Have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What's going on here? Paul is, Paul is answering these questions. Okay, why have people not believed? Is it because it's unclear? Is it because they haven't heard? No, they've heard. They've understood and they still haven't believed. And that brings us to a difficult place. Because there's this tension here of why. We still haven't gotten an answer to this question. Now, don't get me wrong. It's still necessary that we send people to hear, because that is one reason that people don't believe, is they haven't heard. But there's still a ton of people around us that have heard, and they still haven't believed. Why, God? And we have this tension because we know that God's word says that people will not come unless God draws them to himself. John, Jesus says this in John 6, The Father must draw them to himself. And yet verse 21 of chapter 10, the last verse here, says this. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God has his arms open wide. He has made a way. It's not hard to understand. Believe and be saved. That's God's disposition to his people. He's got open arms. And yet, why have so many people not believed? And I think a lot of us in here, we struggle with this question. I struggle with this question. Especially in regards to people close to us. With our friends and our family, we're asking why have they not believed? I want to be honest with you this morning. I am not a great evangelist. I struggle to go up to people that I don't know and just talk to them about Jesus. And I've got friends who I've seen them just go up to people on the street and just talk to them about Jesus. And, and, and that's hard for me. But God has given me the opportunity a few times to, to tell people about Jesus. And I want to tell you about one of those opportunities right now. So every fall, my dad's side of the family goes hunting in the Oregon Cascades. And uh, so we've got family members and family friends that show up for that and we go hunting together. And this last fall, we were up there. And uh, it was nighttime. We were sitting around the fire. And one of the family friends showed up. And he comes up. And the first thing he says is, my wife really needs me at home. But I really needed to be here this weekend. Which sets off a little red flag, right? You're kind of like, oh, come on, man. Like, go home. Be with your wife. What are you doing here? But then he says, I really need to talk to you two. And he points at my dad and me. And he says, Mike, I know that you know God, and I know that you go to church, and Ryan, I know that you're a pastor, and I'm just really struggling right now, and I, I know that I need God. How amazing is that? I mean, like, 
I'm excited because God has just put this opportunity on my lap to be able to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else that's actually asking about it. Like, this is wonderful. And so, and, and I've been waiting for this, right? I have been refining my gospel presentation. I have been, I'm ready for it. So me and my dad, we start asking him some questions, dig a little deeper, try to figure out where's this coming from, what's going on, so we can speak directly to him. And, and he shares that life has been difficult lately. His mind's just going a million miles an hour, and he can't slow it down, and, and, and everything should be good. He's got the wife, he's got the job, he's got the kids, but he's still not happy. He's still not satisfied. Something is missing, and, and he, he feels like he needs to know about God. And so I hear that, and once again, I mean, it sounds bad, but I'm excited because that is, that is fertile ground for someone to believe in, in Jesus. And so the time comes, and it's time to share the gospel with him. And so I tell him about our, our sin and our failure. I tell him how we've been separated from God and that we've screwed up, and that's why the world is in such a mess, is because of all the wrong that we've done. And yet, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be right with God again, so that we could be with him again. And I told him that he will never be satisfied in anything in this life except for in Jesus. And yet there's nothing he can do to earn it. This isn't about making yourself right with God. It's not about doing enough good things to be right with God. You just have to believe in Jesus and be saved. And I'll be honest with you, I don't say this out of pride, but I felt like I did a pretty good job it felt like my best gospel presentation yet, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking through me. And yet, what was the response? Silence. Dead silence. Which was just about the worst thing that could happen. Like, it would have been better if he argued with me, or if he had asked some difficult questions. At least we would have been engaged in talking. But it was just awkward silence. And that lasted way too long, and I didn't really know what to do, and, and then somebody else spoke up. He said, you know, I believe in God. Of, of course I believe in God. Look, look what God has done for me. You know, anytime, like, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pay rent, I just pray and the money shows up. Uh, and I figure, I'm a pretty good person, God's going to take care of me. So, of course I believe in God, and I can't believe other people don't believe in God. Now, that might sound good, but... It's a false gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus. That's God's a vending machine. That as long as I'm a pretty good person, he'll keep providing for me. And yet, what was the response to his message? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know what? I'm a pretty good person. I believe in God. He'll figure this out. He'll take care of me. That'll be good. And it's just like, oh. He heard. And I'm pretty sure he understood but he did not believe. And I didn't get another chance to talk to him that weekend. And unfortunately, his life has kind of spiraled out of control now. He's currently in jail. And I'm hoping that God gets a hold of his heart there. I still have hope that God can do a work in his life. See, there's something I can learn from this. I cannot save people. It's not up to me to give people salvation. Only God can do that. But God wants to use me to bring that message to people around me. You see, the truth is, this question, why have they not believed? I don't think we're going to find an answer to that question here this morning. 
But we can find something that we can do about it if we sneak into Romans chapter 11 just a little bit. So I want to read just the first verse and a half of Romans chapter 11. It says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. What is this referencing right now? Remember, Paul is talking, asking this question. Why have they not believed? Has God rejected his people? And he gives himself as an example. God has not rejected his people. Look at me. I have believed. And we need to talk about this story of Paul for just a minute. Hopefully you're familiar with the story of Paul. After Jesus ascended into heaven... That, that message of salvation went out to the surrounding cities, and it started to grow. But at the same time, there was an opposition to it. By the religious leaders, the same ones that were against Jesus, they're against this, this salvation, this way, the gospel, the way of Jesus. And one of those people that pops up is Saul, or, or we know him better as Paul. And he is one of the, the major proponents of this opposition. He is totally against the gospel. He's totally against spreading this message. And he's even helping have people killed who believe in this and are trying to spread it. And so he is, he is one of the people that is most against the good news. Now let me ask you, has he heard? Yeah, he heard the message. Had he understood? I think it's safe to say that Paul understood the message. But he didn't believe. And I want you to imagine, what if you had even gone back we don't know the answer to this, but gone back and talked to the apostles at the time and asked him, hey, you know that Saul guy, do you think he would ever be a Christian? You know, they might say, what? No way. He's like our, our biggest enemy. There's no way he would ever follow Jesus. And yet, one day, Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, and he changed his life forever. And if you remember what happens right after that story, he ends up in that town and He's blind, and God comes and talks to Ananias and says, hey, you need to go heal this guy, Saul. He's, he's believed in me. And Ananias is like, wait, what, Saul? I know about this guy. He kills people like me. There's no way. And yet he had believed. Why have they not believed? It's not because they haven't understood, and it's not because they haven't heard. Paul makes that clear. In verses 18 through 20, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth in the words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask me. They've heard, they've understood, and they have not believed. But there's still hope. I think we've been asking the wrong question here this morning. The question isn't, why have they not believed? The question is, how can I share the gospel with them again tomorrow? There's still hope. Pastor Evan shared a story with me this last week about an elder at his old church. Uh, and this elder, his father, lived to be 92 years old. And you know when he became a follower of Jesus? 
when he was 91. And much of his family had believed. They had, they had been sharing the good news of Jesus and praying for him, not for years, but for decades. For over 50 years, they had been telling him the gospel. They had been praying for him. And it wasn't until he was 91 years old that he believed. Don't ever give up on people. We don't know what God is doing in their life. We need to have a heart like Paul. And Paul has a heart like that reflects God. He has a heart like God that cares about people. You look at the beginning of chapter 10. What does it tell you about Paul? He says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. His heart's desire is for them to be saved. What does he say in in the beginning of chapter 9, verse 2 and 3? He says, That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Paul cares so much about people, and Paul passionately pursues people. And that's our job as well today. Not to wonder why have they not believed, but to pursue them again. To share the gospel with them again. And they may not respond today. They may not respond tomorrow. They may not respond for 25 years. But you don't know what God will do in their life. I want to leave you this morning with going back to this this classic passage here. In verses 14 and 15. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? And so today I send you out to preach the good news of Jesus to the people around you so that they will hear what God has done for them and believe in Jesus and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, we have this question in our hearts of why have people not believed? And yet, God, I pray that you would help us to see that that's not the right question. But rather, we should be asking, how can we share the good news with them again? God, we all have people in our lives, people that have not believed. Our kids, our friends, other family members, coworkers. God, that maybe they've heard, maybe they've understood, and they still haven't believed. And yet, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to live our lives out in front of them, to show them a different way to live, that you would give us opportunities to talk with them, to engage with them, to share the good news of Jesus with them so they would believe and be saved. And God, most of all, I pray that you would, you would help us to trust you, to trust in your timing, trust in your plan, and trust in your sovereignty. God, that you, you know better than us and that you are working on people's hearts and that we can boldly share your message with the people around us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.